What a grace to be with you all on this uh, most sacred night, the beginning of our Easter Triduum, these three uh, liturgies that make up one actually long liturgy, uh, starting from tonight, the Mass of the Lord's Supper, through Good Friday, leading into the Easter Vigil, the celebration of the Lord's Resurrection, where we liturgically and sacramentally, and that is to say, really enter into the Paschal Mystery, what um, the Lord has accomplished in his Son, Jesus, for our salvation. And this night, the night of Passover, Jesus celebrates with his apostles and institutes these two sacraments, the priesthood and the Eucharist. These two gifts that he gives to the church for her governance, for her learning uh, discipleship, but also for her sanctification. To have the grace of the sacraments, um, the apostles are sent out later after the resurrection to teach and to baptize to make disciples of all nations. And they're given this gift um, that traces its origin back to this night um, when Jesus says, do this in memory of me. And then he gets up after the supper is ended, and it says in John, and, and does this act that was so confusing to them at the time. He says, you don't understand what I'm doing, but you will understand later. If I, the master and teacher, wash your feet, so you must also wash each other's feet. But Jesus is not just doing this as some kind of like lesson or moral tale. It's an authentic act of love, as every act in Jesus' life is authentic. It's not play acting. It's not for show. He does nothing for spectacle. He does everything from his heart, which is the heart of God. And so he wants, in this moment, to give them this gift, to do this tender act of love for them, to wash their feet, to do the service of a slave. He says, if I, the master and teacher, do this, how much more you should do for one another? And so we, this night, uh, the only Mass of the year, when we do both things that Jesus did at the Last Supper, the Eucharist, but also um, the priest washes the feet of 12 people, members of the body, uh, to commemorate this gift, um, this sacred act. We're in the midst of a Eucharistic revival. I don't know if you've heard about this. Hopefully you have. Um, but the, the U.S. bishops have called for a revival of Eucharistic faith and devotion. Uh, this gift of the Eucharist that we have as Catholics, it's so precious. It's what makes us Catholic. The Vatican, Second Vatican Council says the Eucharist is the source and summit of the Christian faith, meaning it's the thing from which everything we do flows and it goes back to. It's the Mass. It's the body and blood of the Lord. And obviously, we're called not to just come to Mass, receive the Eucharist, but to go and make disciples of all nations, go live Eucharistic lives, transformed by the gift, to do what Jesus says to do, to wash each other's feet, to live lives of holiness, of generosity, of heroic sacrifice. And I keep thinking of um, this person who I've gotten to be friends with, who I never met while she was alive, um, Michelle Dupont. You may have heard of this name. If you went to Seek, they showed a brief documentary about her life. But she died a few years ago um, at the age of 31. She was a focused missionary. And uh, her cause for canonization is now open, actually, from the Diocese of Bismarck. Um, she worked briefly in the Diocese of Bismarck as a faith formation director. But she worked for a few years after college as a, um, as a focused missionary. And she was known for her joy. She just radiated joy. And she loved Jesus. She, like all focused missionaries, made a Eucharistic holy hour 
every single day and did so with great faithfulness. And she, like every focused missionary and everyone discipled by focused missionaries, tried to live the great commission of evangelization through authentic friendship, not through just uh, preaching on street corners and telling people to believe in Jesus, but to actually uh, invite them into her life. She did this. And this documentary that we got to watch, it's like all these people talked about how they came to deeper faith in Christ or for the first time to faith in Christ as Catholics because of her example and because of her generous um, offer of friendship. And uh, tragically, she was diagnosed with a very aggressive form of colon cancer in January of 2015. And um, she didn't know at first that it would take her life in less than a year. Um, and so she you know, went to the doctor and, and ended up in Chicago for a little bit. She was actually from uh, out west or the you know, South Dakota, North Dakota area. Um, and she came to Chicago to the Cancer Center of America where a few of my priest friends actually from the seminary knew her from their focus connections and visited her while she was in the hospital there. She got many surgeries, many treatments, suffered a great deal. But even in her suffering and her dependence, she was still evangelizing. People would come to her and like, visit her. And there was one person that said, uh, you know, she'd been in the hospital for months and uh, suffering and recovering from surgeries. And she came to visit her the week of her birthday, like just like a few days after her birthday. And not Michelle's birthday, but this woman's birthday. And Michelle's first thing she said was, how was your birthday? <laughs> she just was thinking about other people and wanted to uh, know what was happening in their lives and wanted to be a blessing to them. Um, and her sister took a lot of care of her, and, and she's in this movie. She, she tells this story that, to, to me, it just moved my heart so much, and I think about it often as I pray to Michelle um, and for her cause. Um, when it finally came, it was, it was months into the, into the process where um, she had to let go of things slowly, like uh, first her, you know, losing a lot of her uh, inner organs, but then also her uterus and things like she realized she was never going to be a mother. She didn't yet know she was dying. But like little bits of her future, what she had planned for her life, were sort of taken away, and she just offered them to God and uh, didn't understand it, but just suffered patiently and joyfully and generously. And finally, this uh, GI doctor came in to basically tell her there was not anything else that they could do and that we had to look at maybe uh, just letting nature take its course and um, looking to com you know, for comfort and not for a cure. And her sister says, Michelle was sitting up in the chair in the hospital room, and she just looked down for a minute uh, and collected herself, and then looked up at the doctor and said, Dr. Nair, how are you doing today? And it was so authentic. The doctor just gasped, and he actually literally left the room to collect himself. Uh, and her mom and her sister were there and kind of looking like, what just happened? And the doctor eventually came in and just said, I just told you your life is over. And you asked me how I'm doing. And um, her sister says that for, kind of from that moment when she realized she was dying, this grace grew in her of like innocence and childlikeness. Um, that she was so helpless and she just needed everybody to take care of her. But she, she did it with all this, this total trust you know, she wasted away and, and everything. Um, all these tender moments uh, where she was, she was able to just be loved and to offer love 
Um, to me, that's a, a Eucharistic life. I mean, it's pretty ordinary. You know, she's not super famous. Hopefully she'll be famous now that she's hopefully going to be a saint recognized by the church. But just this ordinary holiness. And I thought of Jesus on the night of his betrayal and suffering. And he knows, John says, he knows his hour has arrived and what it means, what he's about to enter into, what he's about to suffer. And what's on his mind is leaving his apostles these gifts to do these acts of kindness for them. This is the last chance I have. But here's my body given up for you. Here's my blood. Do this in memory of me. Let me wash your feet. Let me show you this kindness. This is what I want for you. This is the joy, the innocence that I've come to restore through this sacrifice I'm about to endure. But how is that possible that you and I can live Eucharistic lives like that? Not only because um, our own natural proclivity to do everything in our power to preserve our own life and our own comfort, but also everything in our culture that panders to our ego, that says, do this and you'll be happy, buy that, you'll get what you need. Just all about me, me, me. Like How can we have our hearts cracked open like that? To forget our own suffering, to forget our own burden, and to willingly shoulder the burdens of others, to wash their feet. How can you be Jesus? How can I be Jesus? It's the Eucharist. It's the only way. In just a few moments after Mass, we'll have the opportunity to adore him in the most blessed sacrament, to adore Jesus and to even stay with him as he invited his apostles to stay with him for an hour through this night of agony that he goes through. He says to them, sit here while I pray. Sit here while I pray. We enter into Eucharistic adoration. That's what we're doing. We're sitting there while Jesus prays to the Father in us. We're just in his presence. Remember in the Gospels how after all these miracles and busy days multiplying loaves and fishes and all this stuff, he's always going to deserted places to pray, to be in communion with his Father. And as the Gospels progress, he starts inviting his friends into those prayer experiences, the transfiguration. He brings Peter, James, and John up the mountain, and they see the glory, how close he is to the Father. This is my beloved Son, in whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. And in the agony, he invites the same three, Peter, James, and John, sit here while I pray. It's like what he says in, in John to the woman at the well, um, the time is coming when you're not going to worship on this mountain or that mountain, but the Father will seek those who worship in spirit and in truth. That's what he's called us to do, worship him in spirit and in truth. We have the Spirit. We have the Holy Spirit in baptism. And he gives us his presence. Behold, I'm with you even to the end of the age. The real presence of Jesus in the Eucharist. So we sit there. He invites us in to his own intimate relationship with the Father and the Holy Spirit. And we get to sit there with him. Creatures. Limited. Sinners. But he invites us into his own divine relationship with the Father. Mother Teresa says about the priesthood, she says about priests and their prayer life, she said, the prayer of a priest is to allow Jesus to pray in him, 
and through him. Therefore, he must be so pure, so completely at his disposal, that Christ can really be one with his Father in his heart. It's a high call as a priest to allow Jesus to be one with his Father in my heart. He's using my heart. He's occupying my heart to be in communion with the Father. But all of us, the priesthood of the baptized, is inviting all of us into that relationship. And that is how we live Eucharistic lives. Not by just trying really hard or developing a plan on how to, you know, be good people or live good lives or do good things. It's to be Jesus and to allow him to be and live in us. And then we can depend on the Father like Jesus did. And that grace that was alive in Michelle can become alive in us, that restored and renewed innocence, that childlikeness, that faith that just allows us to love, to even forget ourselves and the burdens and the fears and the sadnesses in our lives, and to let those things be filled by God and to be even overflowed into living this life of generosity and sacrifice and to make a meal of our lives as Jesus did. And so in just a few moments, we'll invite up 12 people to have their feet washed in, in commemoration of this great mystery of generosity of God, but to let that mystery just wash over our own hearts and to invite us in and to allow us to be immersed in that mystery and to live it ourselves.